Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Susan. Hi. I'm Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater bulimic. And um, I want to thank Susan for asking me to share tonight. Um, Susan's really been pushing me to participate in my recovery, and and I'm really grateful. You know, um, I've been kind of sitting on the sidelines for quite a while, many years actually, and um, doing the least bit of work towards my recovery because I'm in so many different programs. It's kind of hard to keep keep them all, you know, focused. And um, over the last few years, um, I've really, really come to love Overeaters Anonymous. And, um, and that's taken me a really long time to say because, um, you know, compulsive overeating and bulimia and anorexia and all the shame and the feelings that go with it are frankly not something I really want to embrace or I haven't wanted to embrace. And um, to take, to to give you a little, um, to get my numbers out of the way, first of all, congratulations to the CHIP people. Um, And um, welcome if you're new and welcome from New York. Um, I started OA um, the same day I got sober which was December 13th, 1989, and um, I got abstinent on the same day as I got sober um, by a fluke. Uh, My bulimia was probably escalating to the point where um, not a day would go by, probably every single meal I threw up. Um, And... I, grew, I was um, living in West Hollywood, and I got sober at the log cabin, and I ran into Linda M., and Linda M. said, you cannot throw up again. And I listened to her. I don't know why it struck me, because normally I would never let anyone know. I don't think anyone I lived with, nobody knew I was bulimic. It was like my little secret. I had a way of um, going out, eating, getting rid of my food, and I would pretend I was sneezing as I was walking out of super fancy restaurants so that I could drink more and I didn't want the calories. And um, and so no one knew, and I was really sneaky and I was really devious, and I had found also um, laxatives. Um, I found laxatives living in Germany. I used to model, and um, when I got there, I was so stressed out that I stopped going to the bathroom. And going into 45 days of not going to the bathroom... I finally was given laxatives, and then I realized I could eat whatever I wanted and get rid of it, and um, so that started my laxative addiction, and um, and then I ended up in Tokyo, and um, everyone was throwing up there, so it was 
that's where I started throwing up. And um, the anorexia part had started much, much earlier than that. And my top weight is was one, one, 189, and my bottom weight was 102, and I'm a little under 510. And, um, you know, and I've been killing myself with food behaviors my whole life. I mean, I, I remember just being a little kid and um, going, I was in elementary school and my mom would make us these healthy lunches, you know, and um, <laughs> like to this day, I hate a whole apple. I just hate it. She's like these red apples. I hate red apples and I hate whole apples. I always cut my kids apples because they're, they're like 21 and 18. <laughs> I get them like the best apples. I cut them. I clean them. I make everything like they're, you know. Nobu or something, and, um, <laughs> you know, so I'd have these horrible lunches, and they'd be gone by break, and, um, you know, and unless I had money or someone didn't want their food, I'd finish off their lunch in the cafeteria, and um, so I just remember starting, the, the food started young, and the food also started when my panic attack started, and my panic attack started probably in about second grade. And, um, you know, not to take my mom's inventory, but she was really scary. And, um, you know, little did I know that part of the problems I was having at school was I had, um, you know, I had learning disabilities. I had um, focusing problems. I had really, really hard time sitting still and paying attention and processing information. And I needed to get up, and I needed to move, and I needed to run, and I needed to, like, and that's why I do what I do today. I, I project manage. So I'm, like, walking and doing as I'm going. And it's, like, you know what I mean? And I do it as I'm walking. And that's the best job that's I've found for me. Sitting at a desk in an office, I forget everything. Like, my boss would be like, Susan, I had an appointment. <laughs> like, darn it, I forgot again. You know what I mean? I was just, like, the worst assistant, you know. And, um... <laughs> You know, it was much better personal assistant because then I could just run their errands and map it out and do my thing because that's where I process the information better. And so school was tough. School was really tough. I grew up in a very academic home. My, um, my sisters all have degrees today. Um, back then, school was effortless for them. School was torture for me. The only thing I liked was my social life um, and art projects, you know. I mean, that was like my favorite thing was glitter. And <laughs> anything with glitter. And, um, you know, and I just wanted to be, like, left alone. I would have been, like, the perfect hippie, you know. I mean, just, you know, that would, in the dirt, playing, building castles and decorating and whatever. That was kind of who I was. So school was this harsh reality. And so, you know, coming home every day was this always sense of impending doom, you know, because what did I do wrong at school today, you know? And the teachers would call your parents if you were, did anything back then. And so I got away with nothing. And, um, and so my solution was just trying to find food to, to like, fit, fill that hole. And um, the terror, it was like terror going home. My mom was could be verbally abusive and physically abusive and, you know, ground me for a month on end, like to my room, grounded to my room. And um, simple things like not putting the chair in at the dinner table, giving my Brussels sprouts to the dog, 
grounded. You know what I mean? And I was like, and I never learned. Like, I never got the, like, my sister's like, what is wrong with you? Like, just stop doing it and you won't get in trouble. And I was like, stop doing it. Like, how do you stop doing it? Like, I, I just couldn't process the consequences. It was like impulse. Like, I just had to do what I had to do in the moment. And so, same thing with food. And, um, and so, you know, as time went on, I was never really overweight, but I was, I was chubby. I was just a little bit chubby, and um, which always kind of just made me feel like a little bit on the outside, you know, from being all the way in. And um, so cut to high school, and, you know, I graduated eighth grade. I was probably the second to the shortest girl in my class. And by 10th grade, I was the tallest. And, you know, I got really skinny, really tall, and I had a lot of anger. And um, and if you crossed me, I would take it out on you. And, you know, and I found the friends that thought it was funny. And, um, and I got a lot of mileage for it. I got a lot of attention. And so getting thin, getting tall, getting attention became my kind of goal in life, and um, actually getting attention was always my goal in life, but, um, you know, it just took away from the fact that, you know, I just felt so stupid. I had an older sister, her favorite word for me was shut up, fat pig, you know, shut up, you stupid idiot, you know, I mean, like, that's just how she talked to me, and other things, and so... um, Suddenly getting attention was just, you know, I got attention because I got tall and I got thin. And um, and so that's about when I also started partying and doing drugs. And I stopped eating and um, started sneaking out and going to nightclubs. And I loved that I could just go for days without eating. Very little. And, um, you know, and the ego of the ride of attention would eventually just tear me down, you know. Um, it, uh, like I said, I think the alcoholism is one aspect, and horrible things happen with that, but I think the result of my compulsive overeating and what it was about, which was the underlying so many like learning disabilities and low self-esteem and just all of that other stuff, that one I found to be more painful and the hardest to embrace over the years. And um, I have now like four and a half years recommitted abstinence. Um, about four and a half years ago, right before Thanksgiving, I threw up again after almost 26 years. And, um, you know, and for someone who used to throw up as often as I did, one time doing it was absolutely the most violent act against, I just absolutely could not believe that I used to do it as often as I did a day. And to have had almost 26 years away from it and come back I never in a million years thought I would throw up again. Never. Like, I knew it as, like, my sobriety was hand-in-hand with my abstinence from bulimia. And that was my bottom line. And I had had a sponsor who said that, you know, if I broke any of these, like, rules, she wrote out down my abstinence. And, you know, it was on my sobriety, bulimia, um, sugar, flour, you know. And she said, if you break any of these, you're no longer sober. And I think I had had... um, 
like some white flower or something like that. And, you know, and she just kept, it just kept ringing in my head that I was no longer sober. Like I was not going to be sober, which I find, which I totally disagree with. But my abstinence, 100%, you know, 100% I needed to start over. And, um, and so today my abstinence is a lot different than what it's ever been before. But, you know, I have a very loving sponsor, and her name is Irma, and she's probably spoken here, and she's amazing. And she was like a gift from God, and she came in to my life a couple years ago. And, um, and I have finally found someone that I feel like I can be 100% honest with. There is nothing that I eat or I do or I feel that I couldn't be completely straight up honest with her. And, um, you know, in the past I felt really like I needed to protect my right to secrets, so to speak. And, you know, and they say you're only as sick as your secrets. And, you know, and today I don't have any. And it's a it's an incredible feeling. And, um, you know, when I was about 18, I overdosed. And um, that's when I only know that I weighed 102 pounds because of the hospital report, and um, which my daughter found a few years ago. And she was horrified that I would weigh 102 pounds. And, um, and it was like seeing that hospital report, you know, that I was 102 pounds and I almost died. And, um, you know, when I had just turned 18 years old, my parents had kicked me out on my 18th birthday, gave me 100 bucks and said, don't come back, you know. And um, so I ended up back. But, um, you know, I also got my first modeling job that week. And so when I showed up at in Hawaii to do my first job, I had gained, like, I don't know, 20 pounds. And he was like, what happened? Like, what have you done? I mean, it was 120 pounds. I mean, really, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I guess he liked me at 102 pounds. And, um, but I just remember that shame of, you know, I can't do speed, so I can't stay thin. And, um, you know, and that was the beginning of my battle with um, food, alcohol, drugs, behaviors, all of that for the next seven years trying to find that fix, trying to find that perfect, um, how to be skinny, how to look good, but also um, fix what was wrong with me. Like, what was wrong with I could not figure out what was wrong with me. All these years, it was like my parents were always like, what's wrong with you? Like, always, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? How, can't you learn your lesson? I mean, like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just couldn't figure it out. And, um, you know, so I ended up at the log cabin, and I met Linda M., who's got, like, 40 years in the program, and she's, like, the cutest thing ever, and she started sponsoring me, and um, I used to go to the Drug and Alcohol Center when it used to be on Santa Monica and Robertson, and... um, and I started to find out that I hadn't eaten. Like, I didn't really understand what that meant at 25. And um, I heard this great speaker um, Thursday night at my meeting in the Valley. And, you know, she was, like, 19 years old. And she was so wise. And I thought, 19 years old? My God, I was like a nightmare. Like, I, I couldn't put two sentences together, you know. And here she is so – she was just wonderful. And – um you know, and so I started this journey, and um, 
into the steps, and like I said, my sobriety was hand-in-hand with my eating disorder, with my bulimia, and, you know, um, over the years, it's, it's changed so much. I've been in and out of so many different, like, food plans and abstinences, and what does it mean, and what's the plan for me, and they all had to do, my choices I made for eating food plans was always what was going to get me skinny, and um, it was never about, like, what Susan and I were talking about one day, where it was, like, three meals a day, three plates of food a day. Like, you can actually be healthy and, you know, enjoy your life and live your life, and I don't have to weigh and measure and control and manipulate and how many grams of fat and calories and this and that, and what's she doing, and Jews cleanses now, and it's like there's all these different ways, and it's like this this sense of um, normalcy and um, has come over the years from trying everything. Like, I literally have had to try everything, and um, so, um, you know, pretty much I floated, floated around OA for... 20 years, you know, and I'd be in or I would be out or I'd be sitting on the fringes or I'd be all the way in. I've had every commitment and then I've had no commitments. And, you know, and what's working for me is I show up at a Sunday morning meeting almost every single Sunday, no matter what. And I know that it sets the pace and it sets the tone for my week. And I have a sponsor that I talk to almost daily. And if not, I'm um, texting her or something. And and she knows me. She knows me in and out. And I met her a couple years ago. Um, it's an interesting kind of story. Um, I, about six years ago, my, um, my father passed from Alzheimer's. And... After he passed, a few months later, my daughter's best friend died of cancer, 14 years old. And then three months later, my mother almost died of what we thought was cancer, and it was actually sepsis. And she needed me to take care of her. So I moved in with her, and I was about to move out with my kids and my daughter. We found out she was drinking and doing drugs and sneaking out of the house, and she was 14 and a half years old. And I thought, over my dead body, am I going down this path with her? She is not going down my path. And so we put her in a therapeutic boarding school, and she went into a wilderness program first. And what happened in Montana, in the middle of nowhere, was I started to find um, a me without her. And um, and it was brutal. And... Um, what the therapist said to me there was, you know, we've got your daughter, now go do you. And I was like, what do you mean, do me? She, I do her. That's what I do. Like, I'm her mother, and, you know, I cut her apples up. I mean, like, I do everything. <laughs> I give them hot bubble baths every night, and I do their homework for them. Um, and because um, I left, it's so interesting now to me, you know. <laughs> so she says, um, the guy says to me, okay, go do you. We got your daughter. And I, you know, I started, luckily I had 12-step programs to go to when I had Al-Anon. And so they sent me to Al-Anon, and I, I sent myself to Al-Anon. And, um, you know, and my sponsor there said, Susan, what do you do for fun? And I was like, 
I don't have time for fun. And I don't have money for fun. I'm paying for a very expensive school, and I don't have time for this. And she's like, I suggest you find something fun to do. And, um, and so I went, and I signed up for a bunch of classes and at Valley College. And I, instead of just signing up for one, like, soap-making class, I, of course, signed up for five. And, um, like, I made it through soap making, I made it through candle making, and I'm, like, halfway through knot tying, jewelry knot tying, and I thought I'd rather stick needles in my eyes than make it. <laughs> you know, and, um, but I did like being at Valley College, and one of the things that I had done for years with my dad, he was a lawyer, and he was always like, so Zenny, you gotta, get, you gotta go be a court reporter, like, gotta get a degree, you know, and I'm like, okay. So I go back, and I had, like, like probably 100 units over the last 30 years of taking one class. I mean, I used to, in my 20s, I used to go to school, sign up, take class, and then I'd forget I was going to school. And so they would turn into Fs or Ws, and, you know, I'd be like, darn it, I forgot again. You know what I mean? Like, weeks would go by, and I totally forget that I was in school. And, um, and so... Um, so I finally went back, and I, like, sat there with this guy, and he's like, well, do you want to make my wall? And it's my wall of graduates. And I'm like, heck, yeah, I want to be on that wall. And um, <laughs> so he gets me all excited, and I'm taking classes, and I'm going full-time, and, you know, I graduate. It's the same day my daughter's graduating from high school. She was not happy about it. Um, and I was like, this is something I'd started a long time ago with my dad. And Lisanne knows how I was with my dad. Like, he was like my sunshine. And, um, so, um, you know, I finally, I graduate, I graduate with honors and, um, you know, and during this period, like, I guess right March or something, people start signing up for colleges, and um, I kind of just figured I was already in, I got into the psychology department at CSUN, and I was already accepted, I guess you could automatically get in there or something, and, um, and my daughter says, Mom, I need you to put in your financial aid, I have to do my application for USC, it's closing on Monday, and it's Friday night. And, you know, part of my work has been to do my own work. And I stopped doing their homework a long, like, a long time ago. After I realized I was doing, I was, like, doing all their homework. (laughs) I made such good grades. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I, um, so I'm putting her application in, and I see, like, unfinished, 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 unfinished. And I'm like, she hasn't even done the application. Like, how are you supposed to do an application? Like, she's going to need a little while to get that application done, you know? And I thought, it's none of my business. Put in my financial aid. I logged out, and this little voice said to me, Susan, do your own. So I thought, okay. I made an application. I spent all day Saturday writing. I had to write three essays, and I had to do the application. And and I turn it in, and I go about my life. And um, I graduate, and... Um, I didn't even think twice about USC. I'd never been to USC. I didn't know anything about USC. I just knew it was an expensive school. And I knew nothing about psychology. Because that's the button I picked because I figured I'm an interior designer. Oh, color consulting. I'll do color therapy or something, right? And um, (laughs) 
So, like, no one ever showed me about college, in case you can't tell. Like, it was something like, you know, they just assumed I would go to law school, not law school, but whatever. My dad wanted me to be a court reporter. No one ever explained the system to me. So, like, my kids went in kind of blind, and I went in kind of blind. And um, I get out the package in the mail, and it's like, welcome, Trojan. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, wait, what? Um, and I got a, a full ride scholarship. And so I started, and it became the most arduous, difficult thing I have ever done. And in the middle of it, because little did I know that USC is a, a research college, and it's like cognitive neuroscience and statistics every semester. I still can't tell you the results, what they mean. It's five semesters later, you know. Um, but I did learn a lot in other classes. But um, it was really difficult. And what I found out was, like, why was I struggling so hard? Like, I would literally have, like, that computer in the lab would turn on. And they were, like, the kids around me would, like, be done. And I'm like, what? I still don't know how to get the paper up from my computer. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't figure out the system of, like, how to get it from my computer onto the lab computer, upload it to do the thing, and the teacher's speaking in broken Chinese. And I'm like, <laughs> panic attacks. Like, I literally was having panic attacks. And um, I would call my friends or Irma or whoever and... Um, you know, and I would just cry, and I'd be like, I really, I wish I hadn't told everybody on Facebook I got in here, because I now would just want to get out. Like, I'm out of here. And, you know, and then I'd be leaving, and I'd walk past the field, and the marching band practices by the psych building, and they'd be playing the fight-on song. And I'd be like, I can feel stupid. And then I'd hear the fight-on song, and I'd be like, God, uh, really? Like, are you kidding? Like, God sent me a band to, like, cheer me on. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, you know, I had, to get, I had to get creative and, like, how to look at this struggle and this, you know, problem. And then, I, and then it turned out that I had to do one semester of a foreign language. And I thought, like, I can't handle this anymore. And, um... You know, I hadn't taken Italian since 25 years. You know what I mean? So I had to take one more semester. And I'm like, no way. There's no way I'm taking it at USC. So I thought I'll skip and go to Spanish. And I, like, take the test. And I can't answer one question. Like, not, I don't even know how to order a cup of coffee in Spanish. And I just did bubble art. And I ended up in Spanish, too. And I, and I thought, oh, my God, really? And so, so um, you know, I went to the disability department. And, you know, one of the things I learned, and I really believe that, you know, part of this process, whether you're starting out in OA and your life is about to begin or you've been here a long time, you know, is that we learn how to ask for help. And we learn how to put ourselves out. And it was embarrassing being 50 years old. So I can't tell you how many times people would ask me, walk up to me, excuse me, professor? <laughs> and I'd be like, no, I'm not a professor. Ah, are you in the um, doctor program? No. Oh, master's? No. <laughs> Get my bachelor's degree? Oh. You know, and it was like over and over. And some days it was funny, and other days it was just awful. And um, especially when I felt stupid. And especially when I felt like I can't take it. Like, I literally tell you I cannot take it. And coming home and so many nights in the bathtub at 10 o'clock at night because I'd 
go to school two days a week so I could work and be 15-hour days at school. And I'd be, like, in that bathtub crying my eyes out because I can't take another day of this shit, you know, sorry. And um, so, so um, what ended up happening was I had to go get help, and I went to the disability office, which I already had um, services, you know, where I could test and quiet. And But I was like, I cannot do this foreign language thing. It's beyond me. I can't do it. I'm done. I'm out. Like, I can't do it. And that's all I need to graduate is this one stupid class or three semesters if I have to start all over. And um, and so they su suggested that I get tested. And I got tested during a sem semester of cognitive neuroscience and statistics and something else. And it was like brutal requirements for class for me and then brutal this going and getting these tests done. And, um, you know, and I would see these like the part of the thing was all this um, you would every single class you'd have to do all these cognitive tests like as part of the like fun like part of the lab and I'd be like gee I can't get it you know what I mean like I couldn't get them and I'd be like we're waiting for a few people and there would be my name unfinished and I was like god really and then I do these tests with this lady and she's like giving me the same test I couldn't do them in the classroom and I can't do them with her and long story short I ended up um being rejected for the learning disability, but finding out that, oh, yes, hands down, you are ADD and you do have a learning disability, but it doesn't transfer to a foreign language waiver. And I walked away and I thought, that's ridiculous. Like, I can't, I cannot handle this. Like, this is like, I need help. And so I went back to the disability part and I said, I disagree with what you have to say. And I'm going to tell you why. And I explained it and I laid it out for her. And she's like, oh my God, the section that shows you statistically you have is uh, blank. She never filled it out. She goes, I'm going before the board. I'm going to re-argue for you. And I got it. And um, and then, you know, all these other things happened. And the long, long of the short of it is that I ended up graduating with honors on Friday. And... Um, and and the thing that I got was there is nothing, nothing, because I have run from this learning disability my whole life. I have eaten, I have thrown up, I have drunk everything that you can, I have done every single drug and overdose, I have done everything avoiding this, I have jumped through hoops, I have danced on tables so that you don't find out, which I did not know what was missing. And I remember one day walking through school and just feeling that hole was gone. Like, I could, I could walk into the world, I could walk in front of anybody, I could stand up and own my space. And, and it was simply doing that test. I would never have been tested if I had not clicked that button and done psychology. I would never have known. I would have kept going the way I was going. And, you know, and learning how to ask for help and staying abstinent and, you know, making a promise to myself that I wasn't going to miss a moment. I was going to be emotionally available to my experience there. And um, no matter what it took. And, you know, um, it was an amazing weekend. It was an amazing weekend. I, you know, I had fun. I had a party for myself and my family and my friends showed up and, you know, and it was just an incredible turning point in my life. And, you know, and I'm kind of excited. This year is, you know, a big year. I'm going to be 55. 
Um, I graduated. I'm going to be 30 years sober in December. I'm going to be five years abstinent in November. I, I should bet fives. <laughs> um, I got a lot of fives there. Um, anyhow, and I'm just incredibly grateful. I'm grateful for being here. And um, that's it, right? Um, okay, cool. So I'm going to open it up for questions. If No. <laughs> no. She didn't get in. I don't even know if she got a letter of nothing. I don't know. She didn't. So my abstinence. Oh, the question was, can I talk about what my abstinence is today? So my abstinence today has been... Um, you know, going from every different kind of food plan that there is to um, three meals a day and two snacks. I eat all foods moderately. Um, I'm on board with my sponsor. She knows exactly what I'm eating and what I'm doing. And, um, And I kind of feel like it's given me, it's taken me a really long time to give myself the space to really monitor what what is what is it who am I like what do I like what don't I like what works for me what doesn't work for me you know like it's always been what someone else does it's always been what's gonna get me the thinnest the fastest um and Today, it's, it's interesting, you know, I just um, did my ninth step, I started making my amends, and I'm really seeing how being clean with my 10 steps, because I'm on my 10th step now, um, really takes the power out of food, and, um, and so that's where I'm at right now with my food, and of course, no blame you. So this is like, totally not related to like... Steps or anything, but like when you were in the middle of the your like school, or did you ever like lose motivation? And how like have you ever lost it? And how do you get it back? Like when you just exhausted, like how, how what was your process like? Um. So when I was in school, correct, yeah. or just in life? School. Okay. So in that specifically back in school. When um, I would lose my motivation, what would I do to get it back? Um, Okay, it happened a lot. And um, part of it was I'm not a quitter, so I really focus on that. I I feel a responsibility to my children that, like, my main goal was to beat them to a degree. And um, <laughs> truth be known, um, you know, so so that was always affecting me. And the days that where I was like, I'm done, you know, this was just like a, a, a joke, clicking the button. I never really meant it. I don't have to do this. Who do I have to prove? And my son was like, we don't quit in our family. And so I had family that didn't support it. I had myself when I was strong, not supporting it. God sent me a band <laughs> numerous times. Like, I can't tell you how many times I walked out of that building and, like, 
done, and that band was just always playing a fight song, Fight On, and I'm like, what? You know, so I had, like, the band, and I, and I, and then ultimately, Array, ultimately, I knew when I clicked that button, I didn't make a choice to go there. Like, it was, like, not in my orbit to think of going to USC, ever. If I hadn't been doing my daughter's financial aid, I'd never, and so I knew, I thought, God, God, if you got me here, you're going to get me out of here, Right? Um, and so, uh, a year ago, I started going back through the steps again because I knew that it had become so about me and my will and staying in the dean's list was not a good, you know, like, I thought my, 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 um, scholarship had to have a certain grade point average, (laughs) which I found out later it didn't, but, um, I thought I did, so I was this panic all the time, and so when I started going through the steps last summer, a year ago, this June, um, I got back to one, two, three, because I kept getting, people said, oh, you're fine, you've been here a long time, let's just do a 10-step, and I was like, no, I don't need a 10-step, I need to go back to one. I am powerless in so many areas in my life. My life is unmanageable. I need to make a decision that there is a God, and who is this God, and how is he, like, related to me, and... And so that was really, like, what was the best semester I had. The best semester was my last semester because I was back with God again because I, I had forgotten, you know, became about me. And, um, and it was a struggle. And as soon as I, like, gave it back to God, it was like I could actually have fun with it. So, so that was it. There was a, there's a lot of variables, but I'd probably say that God was the biggest variable, and then also that I'm not a quitter, you know, that I just refuse to give up. I wish I could apply that to my business now, but <laughs> every time I try, I get a little tired. Anyhow, I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Can you talk about when you took these tests and learned about, it goes to me with steps six and seven. Can you talk about your going through steps step six and seven, learning your shortcomings and defects of character and going through that? Okay, so so I believe the question is in regards to going through all the testing and then um how does that correlate with my with my with my character defects? Um, no, I kind of feel like going through the testing um, for me because I wasn't expecting that answer. You know, my mom used to my mom created a program in elementary school for kids with learning disabilities. I was literally the picture on the on the booklet, and I'm like, Mom, you missed something like kind of big. She goes, well, no one ever said anything to me. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, every report card, she saved them for me. She handed them to me when I got sober. I was like, God, nobody said anything. Like, they never said anything nice. If you're a teacher, please, say something nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So how did that... um, I, I feel like... The testing and my character defects, well, the thing that I can correlate the most probably would be uh, fear. Fear. And, you know, and I feel like as a compulsive overeater, that's really where that, like, fear is. Like, what do I like? Body dysmorphia. It's crazy. And, you know, so always worried about what people think of me. Being judged with the kids in my classes that 
effortlessly could recite the reasons why something affects something else and, you know, I couldn't. Um, so I feel like fear. Fear was the biggest, um, kind of the biggest thing. So, thank you.